On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Thanks for that. Oh, good morning. My name is Josh and I work for Christchurch Liverpool as an associate minister. And that passage that's just been read for us from the book of Acts is what we're going to be looking at now. So please do keep it open in front of you. I'll go ahead and give you a moment to get whatever you'll need as I speak, a pen and something to make notes perhaps, or something to occupy children if they need that, or something to enable you to listen if you're staying in. Uh, while you do that, I'm just going to uh, bring us up to speed on the fact that we're looking at the book of Acts, which we have been doing since January. And the book of Acts is all about the early church, but it's more than that. It's about how Jesus is still at work in the world from heaven and he sent his spirit. And that's what marks out what a church is, people filled with his spirit. And since his spirit has come in the life of his followers to form the church, well, things are never the same again, and we've called that the new normal. And we're going to be seeing in today's passage in Acts chapter 4, how the new normal for the people of God, for believers, when they face threat or obstacles or discouragement or any kind of difficulty, well, we're going to see what that new normal is like, how they face that sort of adversity. So whatever you're coming uh, with today, whatever you're facing, whatever challenges there are in your life, there'll be something here in Acts for you. Well, I'm going to pray and ask for God to be with us as we have a look at the Bible this morning. So pray with me. Father God, you have spoken to us through your word. And in this part of Acts, you also speak. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in us as he has always done in the history of the church to speak into our hearts, to, to form us, to become the people you would have us be. And please show us the, the patterns and the good practices, but the attitudes as well, and fill us with your spirit, that we might be people who really model what it's like to be the people of God who trust 
in your sovereign power. We ask for your help then in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure you're aware by now and have probably seen last Monday that this was the week that we got Boris Johnson's long-awaited roadmap. The plan for how hopefully we'll get out of lockdown. Now, I don't know what you think about it. Whatever you think about it, I'm sure we'd all agree that we hope it works. Because let's face it, the last 12 months have been pretty rubbish. Whether that's been homeschooling and fatigue and tiredness and, and busyness that's run you off your feet, or whether it's been really tough isolation brought on by a lockdown, or whether it's been grief bearing the scars of losing a loved one, it's just been a real struggle. And when things are rubbish, it's natural for us as human beings to cling on to a glimmer of hope, a, a truth. A truth that, well, because it's true, does offer us some hope, some comfort and strength. I wonder what truths you've clung to to get you through. One of the messages that came out of the Queen's address many months ago was, this too shall pass. It's true. And it's encouraging that one day uh, this won't be our reality. Some people have gotten through by reminding themselves of the truth that our country and humankind have faced challenges in the past and have gotten through. And so surely we'll make it through this time. I'm sure that's true. We cling to that comfort. Well, throughout the centuries, the Church of God has always faced, always faced crisis and threat and discouragement that has made the church reach out for truths, truths about God that because they're true, well, they're comforting and they help us get through. And in fact, not only help us to survive in the face of danger, but, but to grow and to thrive in a hostile world. And in Acts chapter 4, the very first followers of Jesus have just been dealt a major blow. They're at a crisis point. So far, they've been obeying Jesus, who told them to go out into the world and speak about him. But now, in the passage immediately before this one, they have been directly ordered by the most powerful and important cultural and religious establishment not to obey Jesus. To do exactly what Jesus, or to go against exactly what Jesus had said, to stop speaking about him. So they are reaching out now for, for encouragement, for a truth that's going to get them through. Because they're at a point of threat and discouragement. They realise that from now on, being a follower of Jesus who actually speaks for Jesus and obeys him, well, that's going to cost them their reputations, maybe their jobs possibly even their freedom and their lives. And at this crisis point, we see in today's part of Acts chapter 4, what truth it is that they came back to, what truth that they looked to and clung on to, that enabled them not only to survive in this hostile world, but also to, to thrive in it. We're going to see that in Acts 4, and so we're going to see how Acts 4 points us today to the same truth, that we can reach out for when we are discouraged in our world today. The truth that we as a church and as individuals need to cling on to over the next three months, six months, 12 months. 
so that we can not only survive, but grow and, and even flourish despite living in a COVID world where we can't do things the same way as we used to. And despite living in a world where the message of Jesus is well, really, really opposed. And so here's the truth that they cling on to, the truth that we are being pointed to. Look to God's power. Now, maybe that didn't stir up inside you powerful feelings of comfort and hope. Maybe for you, that's not really the clincher. Maybe for you, that's not the thing that's, that gets you. Maybe for you, that's not the, the deep truth the impact deep inside you that's going to enable you to keep going. But it's interesting because the way that this account in, Luke, in Acts chapter 4 has been written, it's infused with God's power. God's power is there in every aspect of the way that this first church responded to limitations, restrictions, opposition. So let's have a closer look and see how the truth about God's power was their go-to source of comfort and hope and can be our go-to source of comfort and hope. Now, the truth of God's power has massive implications when we ask three questions, and that's going to be my roadmap for this sermon this morning. We're going to uncover the importance of turning to God's power by asking, who's in charge? By asking, what do I need? And by asking, what don't I need? So we'll start with, Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Uh, that is the question that we start with. That's an inc uh, the important question that we need to turn to when we're facing difficulty. It's a generally an important question anyway in life. In your workplace, it's useful to know who your boss is. And if you've been on the internet recently, we've been learning all about the fact that who's in charge is a very important question when it comes to Zoom calls. If you haven't yet seen the video that's been doing the rounds of Handforth Parish Council's Zoom meeting, then it's a bit of a treat. Those of you who've seen it will know what I mean. The, the, the parish council's clerk and chairman, a guy called Brian, he, he's trying to thrash out the technicalities of a, of a councillor, a proper officer and a chair to establish who's in charge in this meeting. And it descends into chaos. Uh, culminating in uh, the words that have now become famous on the internet, you have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. While after that, Aled's iPad is somewhere there saying, I'm in charge. And one member helpfully clarifies uh, that, quote, the chairman of the council is the chairman of the council. And eventually, more chaos ensues, people are thrown off the call. Now, if you haven't seen it, it's a hoot. And we learn that who's in charge is a very important question. And that's the first go-to question that God's people ask themselves in this passage, when they're faced with threat and opposition. The situation is this, have a look back a few verses at verse 18. It's talking about what the ruling council decided. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. So how do God's people respond in face of that? Verses 23 and 24, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. 
When they heard this, here's where they ask, who's in charge? They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. When the church faces threat, the threat of legal closure or the threat of violence or general dismissal by the people who shape society, the first question to be reminded of is, who's in charge? We should all find great comfort in starting there ourselves and reminding ourselves of the answer. No matter what might face us, no matter how tired we are or what's come our way in the last 12 months, no matter who might hate us for speaking about Jesus, the names we might get called, no matter the circumstance of a national lockdown or a virus we can't get on top of, the God that we love and serve is the same God who made the seas and the mountains and every cell and atom just by speaking. He's in charge of creation because he made it. And he's in charge of history. Nothing is happening outside of his control. He's in charge of history because he planned it. In verses 25 and 26, this first church quotes from a part of the Old Testament called the Psalms. And this is the second psalm. And in this psalm, it's a song that brings up an image of every human power gathering all of their resources and making a big alliance to rage at God's gates. If you're down among them or bystanding, it's pretty scary because you can see the damage they can do. The powers of earth rage together against God. But after the verses that are quoted here, the psalm goes on to say this. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king, that is Jesus, on Zion, my holy mountain. The truth that this psalm is expressing is that there is no human establishment, no Sanhedrin, not the government, nor the NHS, no school, no workplace or no religious movement can ever get rid of the fact that Jesus is king, whether they try and stop it or not. Because God's in charge and he's made Jesus to be the king. In fact, even the opposition to Jesus was planned. See, the, the, the these first followers of Jesus saw that this psalm actually was proven true when it came to fulfillment, when the nations raged and peoples plotted against Jesus. But they didn't damage God's plan when they did that. They actually fulfilled it. In verse 27, they draw that direct parallel between Psalm 2 and the events that happened in their day. And they show that God is not only in charge of creation, but he's in charge of He's even in charge of all opposition to Jesus. He's in charge of everyone who says don't speak. And he even uses that very opposition to fulfill the plan that he's purposed. And that is the power of God 
That is so encouraging for believers that are hard-pressed. Verse 28, they say that in Psalm 2, in, in their day, the people did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God's power and will planned gospel opposition because he knew that it would serve his good purposes. Now, we might not be facing direct government opposition at the moment. We not, might not be under threat in that way. But we are all facing a struggle, a struggle with a lockdown, with a pandemic. And I'm sure we've all found that a huge obstacle to doing church in the way that we're used to, to loving other people in the way that we want to, and to sharing Jesus in the way that we try to. But here's the thing. God's power and will planned beforehand that this should happen. So God hasn't had to put his mission on hold and wait for us to sort out a virus. God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He can use the, even the killing of his Messiah to fulfill his salvation plan. So don't you think he had a plan here too? Don't you think he had a purpose in doing this? Don't you think looking to God's power that he's arranged the situation for his good purposes, well, that shows us who's in charge. And no matter what faces us, whether it's institutional or biological, God's power and will planned it. He even planned gospel opposition. So if that's true, what should I do? And our second question shows us how the people of God respond to the fact that God is in charge. Because the second question is, what do I need? What do I need? See, if God's in charge, and if he is working everything for his good purposes, then that's brilliant. What an encouragement that is. That's where we draw our comfort and hope in dark days. And that means we, we ought to get on board. We want to be involved. We want to play our part in God's good purposes. So naturally, verses 29 to 30, God's people submit to God's good purposes. They know they don't need to fret. They know that God's doing something brilliant. And so they want to be part of it. And they pray for what they need in order to serve God's good purposes, not so that they can have their own purposes achieved. Verses 29 and 30. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants, because that's who they want to be, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The striking thing here with this prayer, if you can compare it with the types of prayers that we often pray, is that they don't ask God to stop the opposition. They don't ask for protection. They don't ask for things to get easier. They seem to think that if this is God's plan, and it clearly is because he's planned that people will oppose him, but he will put his king on the holy hill. If this is God's plan, then it's for good. It's what we want. It's clearly the best thing. So they want to be on board with it. They don't ask God to change his plan. They say, what do I need? so that I can be part of it. It makes perfect sense, actually. I used to be a teacher, I was a science teacher. 
And uh, it was quite normal that we would do experiments. And one year I was teaching a year 10 class and it was coming up to exam time. And I was very, very sure that on the paper there'd be a question about solvents, because there was every year. So I got them to do an experiment about solvents. So I said to, to one group, right, you guys go over and get, get the flasks and you guys need to go over and get the solvents and you guys get the, the pipettes. We're setting it up and one girl comes to me and says, sir, I, I need you to get me something. Well, of course, of course, I, you know, I want this to go well. Whatever she doesn't have, I, I'm gonna help her with, I'm gonna give it to her. I said, what do you need? And she said, oh, I need a pair of scissors. I said, you're not gonna need a pair of scissors. What do you need scissors for? And she said, well, you see, the thing is, um, I've got PE last and I bought a new pair of trainers, uh, but I didn't get time to, to properly, you know, wear them in. So they're in my bag and uh, they've got a tag on them and the tag kind of means that both shoes are together. So I just need the scissors to just cut the tag so that I can kind of wear them in and, and try them on. Now, that is the kind of thing I'd have to deal with teaching in schools. It leaves me banging my head on the wall. You see, what I'd planned beforehand in my good purpose was going to be good for them. It was going to help them in their exam. And they'd have learned lots in doing it. But she's asking for something totally different along totally different lines, as if, as if what's going on in this experiment is just something totally accidental or by the by because she has got her own purposes that she's asking for my help for. Well, that illustration isn't to say that we ought not to be asking God for things. It's not to say that we shouldn't depend on God to provide certain things for us, not at all. In fact, the Bible tells us that that's a really good and important thing to do. But what I do want to illustrate is simply that it makes really good sense. When you know that God's got a good plan and he's in charge, it makes perfect sense to ask for what you need to be a part of it. And he has promised to give you what you ask for when you ask for what you need to be able to obey him. Now these first Christians, they know that God's plan is for the nations to hear the good news about Jesus through their own speaking as witnesses and so they ask for what they need. They ask for boldness to speak. And they're looking to God's power. Not just looking to God's power to help get them through this time of threat, but God's power to help them get on board with God's plan and, and thrive and flourish and be the people who he called them to be despite the hostile world they live in. And they ask for God's powerful hand to stretch out and do signs and wonders as evidence that that message is true and to do it in the name of Jesus so that Jesus is shown to be at the centre of God's good purposes. Now they're asking for God's powerful hand to stretch out with signs and wonders. This is worth asking, well, do we see that today? Do we need to ask for signs and wonders today? Is that what we should be praying for? And I certainly think that uh, that would be a great thing to pray for. I believe that God's got power to do that. And he does that in the book of Acts. But we do see less of that happening in our day and in our culture. It's worth asking, well, why does God not always answer that part of the prayer? Oh, I've seen in the Bible that whenever God's plan seems to enter a new chapter and he reveals himself in a new way and, and teaching happens to show that what's past is fulfilled and what he's doing now is something new, well, 
God proves that, he authenticates it with, with miracles, with signs. A sign points to something, with signs to approve of that message. But you see, he's already done that to those believers there in Acts. So we don't actually need new signs to prove what's being said is true. We've got it written down here in the book of Acts. See, God's message through the Acts is, yes, I did those signs and wonders. And now you know that the gospel is true and the messengers were trustworthy. And they've been written down. So it means that we don't really need to see those signs and wonders because we've got them written down. And signs and wonders today aren't going to tell us anything new that we don't already have here. So it's not something that we need to see happening lots. It doesn't mean that God doesn't do it, but neither does it mean that God will always do it. But what God always does do is he always does send his spirit to enable his people to speak. And in the face of threat and worry ahead, well, we can look to God for that very thing. We can look to God's power to help us ask, what do I need? And ask for his powerful hand to equip gospel speaking. And he answers it there and then in this passage, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God answers. Now, they're not filled with the Spirit because they'd sort of run out since last time they had the Spirit in chapter 2. It's not like the Spirit's some sort of commodity and we are sort of empty vessels and he kind of fills us like that. It's not like jars of water. The Holy Spirit's a person and we are people. And so being filled is more like the deep influence of one person on another inside our very hearts, inside our very being. Now, he is always with us, so we always have the Spirit, but there are times when we are less feeding off his power and influence, and sometimes when that's more. And so God's people pray for the Spirit, not because they don't have access to the Spirit, but they want to, to draw off him, to feed off him, to listen to him more, have him influence them and equip them for gospel speaking. They look to God's power because God's powerful hand equips gospel speaking. But we also look to God's power because God's powerful grace enables gospel living. And we see that happening as the believers start to ask the third question, what don't I need? What don't I need? Because God's power is also at work, not only to get them through and help them cope, but to transform them into a living model of the message that they're taking out. Verse 33 shows God's power at work in two ways. With great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Power for gospel speaking. And also, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. So that's a wonderful example of how God's power leads a church not only to survive, but actually grow and flourish. They're not simply empowered to be messengers of a redeeming truth. They are empowered to live it out. 
because God's power equips gospel speaking and enables gospel living. See, embracing God's power when facing a lockdown or opposition or intimidation, that never leads to God's people looking down at their feet and feeling sorry for themselves. The spirit who sends them out with a message also forms them into a model. So that when they see someone needy, they get to ask, what don't I need? That I could sell, give up, to give to the person in need. And that attitude of what don't I need, is that's quite common for all the believers. Verse 32, nothing belongs to anyone. But specifically, selling property and houses seems to be voluntary, if you can afford it. So there's no pressure here. There's no law that the believers have to follow. It's not something that is a code that the church has to do. Why they're doing it is because they're being transformed. God's grace is transforming them. It's what they want to do because, well, because they've looked to his powerful grace in order to model their redeeming lives on the redeeming message that they're holding out. Well, maybe you had never thought of clinging to the truth of God's power to get you through tricky times. But do you see how in the early church, God's power was the comfort to get through, but the tonic to spur them on, to grow and to thrive. God's sovereign power means he's in charge. Not an institution, not a ruler, not a boss. And so there's comfort that, that they can trust that God can and will use even their precarious circumstance to build his kingdom. His spirit's power equipped them with what they need to play their part in serving that good purpose so that they could speak for Jesus. And his grace was so powerfully at work in them that they could ask, what don't I need in order to model the redeeming message? And those three questions are a helpful place for us to start when it comes to clinging to God's power when we're finding things difficult. Who's in charge here? What do I need? What don't I need? It might play out like this. Suppose you're put in a difficult position at work because a complaint has been made against a Christian colleague because they talked to a client or student or patient, fill in whatever, about how their faith makes a difference. It's put you in a difficult position and it's intimidating and you're not sure of the way forward and well, it's difficult. You can ask, who's in charge? And remember that God is in such charge that nothing is happening here that wasn't foreknown and foreplanned by God. Whatever happens, God has chosen not to avoid this situation, but to bring this situation around so that somehow the gospel can reach more and more people. There's comfort and a new vision. And then you ask, in light of that, well, what do I need in this situation? Maybe it's not a painless diffusing of this situation. No, what I need is boldness to speak. And yes, wisdom to speak and tact and sensitivity to know when and how and who. But whatever will help you to keep on speaking of Jesus, even when that situation is complicated and intimidating. What do I need? And when God gives you that, and, and Jesus is always on your lips, speaking that redeeming message about a Jesus who came to give himself 
to love and serve the broken and far off, well, you'll become more and more a model of that. And you'll start asking, well, what don't I need? Whenever you see a need that you could meet. Asking those, it's not hard questions. And that picture of believers is not idealistic and inspirational and out there somewhere for the superheroes. In fact, it's great to look around our church and see examples where that's modelled. I know of a primary school teacher in another, uh, another church, and she was put in the tight spot at her work of being given, asked to teach um, some material on sex education, which in a primary school she felt it was just too much, too graphic, and it was at odds with what the Bible taught about sex and sexuality. So she was in a position like Peter and John in verse 19. She was thinking, should I listen to God or to people? But she clearly had in her mind the first of those questions. Who is in charge here? Because she didn't lose heart in that situation. She didn't back down. She resolved that she would listen to God and not teach that material. And so she arranged to meet with a deputy head in order to, to discuss it. And when she was doing that, she was clearly thinking of the second question. What do I need here? Because she wanted to turn that meeting in, into an opportunity to explain what impact Jesus had on her. And so she was asking her friends at her church to pray for boldness so that she could speak. Now, in the end, God did give her boldness. She did talk a little bit about Jesus. And in the end, she wasn't required to teach the material. She kept her job. But that focus on Jesus and on his mission meant that she would have actually been happy to give it up anyway. She didn't really need all the great things that God was giving her. And so she could ask the question, well, what do I need? And she was able to give away some of her things. She regularly used her income and her stable home to meet the needs of others. She was somebody who looked after children from struggling families through the Safe Families charity. Now, she's not a super Christian. She's not a superhero out there that is miles away from you. But God used her to speak a redeeming message and model a redeeming life because she was asking who's in charge? What do I need and what don't I need? And by asking those questions, she was aligning her life with the truth of God's sovereignty, following his good plan and purposes. And in doing that, his power was mightily at work, enabled her not just to get through the challenge, but actually to thrive and be a voice and a model of hope. Now, your situation will be different, I'm sure. But do you see that that's quite ordinary behaviour for believers? There's no fanfare. These people aren't superheroes. This is faithful living that we can all do to ask who's in charge. And so, what do I need? And so, what don't I need? And asking those will help us to walk in line with the truth of God's sovereignty. Those questions point us to the fact that, well, no matter whether we're facing a difficult three months ahead until the end of lockdown, or if that's pushed back and we're discouraged and discouraged month on month and it becomes six months and another 12 months, or no matter if you're facing disapproval from your peers or your family for being Christian, or whatever else that lies ahead, you can hold on to the truth of God's power, not only to help you get through, but to help you thrive under that pressure. Because God's power and will is working for his good purposes. His powerful hand will equip us for gospel speaking and his powerful grace will equip us for gospel living. Let's 
ask for the Spirit to fill us so that we can live that out. Let's pray. Father God, we want to look to your power, not necessarily in ways that make us feel that there's something miraculous and wondrous going on, but we want you to help us see your power in how you've ordered the world to bring about the situation we're in. Father, we want to look to your power as the one who equips us to speak for Jesus where you've put us. And Father, we want to look to your power to form us into people who model the message we speak. Father God, we pray that you'd help us to keep returning to those questions, to keep asking those questions in our situation, to be reminded like these believers that you are in charge. Help us to keep on praying, Sovereign Lord, you made the earth, the sky, the sea and everything in them. And Sovereign Lord, we pray that you would help us to keep on asking you for what we need to serve your plans. And Sovereign Lord, we pray that you would keep showing us what we don't need so that we become models of the redeeming message. Be with us by your Spirit, fill us with your Spirit, and may we be a people who go out into Liverpool with this message on our lips and this model in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.